Today I'm going to conclude my sermon series on the life of Paul and the lessons that we can gain from looking at that special life. Today I'm going to focus on his sermon at Mars Hill. And theologians believe it is one of the great sermons that you will find in the New Testament. Because in a few words, Paul will ignite, really, this pagan population in Athens. You know, Athens at that time was considered to be the intellectual center of humanism in the world. It was full of idolatry, uh, full of paganism in every way. And so now Paul is there by himself. He's waiting for his friends to come, his missionary associates, and they have not come yet. But what we're going to see is how God touched this man and how his preaching is a lesson to us today as to how you need to press and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just preaching, it's articulating a message. That's what this is about, a message to the lost. How do you articulate it? How do you prepare it? How do you respond to people that are looking for hope? And that's what this message is about. And so you see today in too many churches across America, uh, what's going on is the church has become a local entertainment center. People come to hear uh, some entertaining message that tickles their ears. The pastors look to be their pals and their coaches, and they water down the gospel and they water down the word of God so that nobody is offended. It's the, it's the center of what is politically correct, of how they try to capture the attention of busy people. You never saw this in the New Testament. You never saw this with the Apostle Paul. He was never concerned about being politically correct. And so this church is predicated on that same formula. We're going to preach the word of God. We're not going to water it down. We're going to lay it straight. You're not going to hear my opinions. Everything that I give you is going to come from the Word of God. And this reminds me of some years ago when I was teaching the Bible study on Monday morning, and we had a couple of hundred men, and I made that same statement, that same statement that if I ever, ever said something that was not predicated on the Word of God, that you should get up and walk out. And Brother Phil Gardner, who had a hearing problem, <laughs> who was sitting in the front row, got up and walked out. <laughs> now, of course, 200 men fell out of their seat laughing. They couldn't believe it. And then when Phil walked back about 10 minutes later after taking a bathroom break, he didn't understand what all the commotion and, and laughing was until his seatmate told him. Uh, and so I would say that again. I know you may have to go to the bathroom, but as I always say this, if what I'm saying is not predicated on the Word of God, then find another church, all right? Find a place where your ears will be tickled because they won't be tickled here, all right? I'm called, I'm called to preach the Word of God. When I die, I have to face Jesus. And you're called to listen and called to adopt and use it, and you will someday have to do and make an accounting to Jesus as well. Look at what Paul says about preaching and our responsibility. Look at 2 Timothy 
uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It's on the board. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And I would say this is your charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Dis discharge all the duties of your ministry. In church, that's your responsibility. And when you look today and you see churches where they will approve of abortion, when they will approve of gay marriage, what do you think it's about? Don't you think that 2,000 years ago he saw this coming? And that's exactly what happens. We go over into a relativistic type of society that has permeated its way into the church. There is no longer absolute truth. Now it's relative truth. Now it's what the, the people want to hear. Uh, and so my sermon point to you here is this. It is critical to you as well in terms of what your expectations and needs ought to be as you speak about Jesus Christ. You come to church to be fed, uh, not entertained. Someday I know I'll be responsible to the Lord for my preaching, and you will be responsible for what you did with those words. This is a serious time for us as we reflect on those responsibilities. Now, a great example, you see, of them understanding what powerful preaching was about and what our responsibility to the Lord is comes from Martin Luther. And I've spoken about Luther these past several weeks, this powerful leader of the Reformation movement that changed the direction of a dark church and brought it into hope. Uh, and his conversion to Christ alone, not to dogma, but to Scripture alone, uh, through faith, gives emphasis to the Reformation. That's how the Reformation started, as he recognized the power of the Word of God. Luther's dramatic conversion, you see, began as a personal crusade of restoring Scripture to the church. It's not about dogma, all right? It's not about repeating a few paganistic verses. It's instead predicating every, everything we do on the Word of God, restoring the scriptures in every way. The proclamation of the word became the very centerpiece of the Reformation movement and the corporate worship experience, and that's what it's like here. And so the sermon point I have for you is this. The Reformation elevated the pulpit. Luther taught that through the word of God, the elements, the elements of preaching of the word are given sacrament sacramental significance. You got that? Sacramental experience. The word of God. He also taught that preaching of the word is establishing to, us, to, to prove the life of spiritual freedom and grace. You want spiritual freedom and spiritual grace? It comes from digesting the word of God. 
And so now Luther established nine virtues of preaching that are worth noting. I give them to you because you can use this as a litmus test even as you listen to preaching and even in your own life as you go out and speak to others. Uh, and you will see all of these virtues on display as we go through what Paul did on Mars Hill. First, he should teach systematically, meaning that there ought to be an ordered theology to his teaching, not hit and miss, but a systematic theological approach. Second, he should have a ready wit. I'm sorry that I'm not as funny as, as perhaps Luther would have wanted me to be, but if you're going to be a successful preacher, you're going to spread the word of God, you have to have a sense of humor, okay? Even about the self-deprecating nature of yourself. He should be eloquent. I think that's important. When you hear good preaching, there should be an eloquence to it that attracts, attacks the attention of the people. He should have a good voice. Yeah, if you want to be a, a powerful preacher, you do need a good voice. Uh, he should have a good memory. I like that because it's important to remember what you said last week. <laughs> and also to be able to find your car. <laughs> and all of these things are important, but he should have a good memory. That's what Luther said. He should know how to make a beginning and when to make an end. How about that? Have you been in churches where you never knew when the beginning was? And for sure, you never got an ending, Right? All right, and all you're doing is looking at your wristwatch. Well, that's not going to happen here, all right? That's not going to happen because I'm very conscious of the fact that everything that I do here goes on the radio, and I know that I have to be consistent with the time on the radio. He should be sure of his doctrine. That's right. And when I speak up here, I should be sure that in what I'm giving you is the pure teaching of God, not my opinion, but the pure teaching of God. He should be totally passionate in his delivery of the word. I laugh when people say to me, I'm surprised at how passionate you are. How passionate I am. How could I not be passionate? How could I not be passionate? This is, this is the eternal life I'm dealing with. Shame on me if I'm not passionate about what's going to affect you for eternity. And you should be the same way when you speak. Uh, and if necessary, and this is a hard one, if necessary, he should allow himself to be mocked and jeered as he delivers the word. You're going to have people that are going to mock you. You're going to have people that will jeer you, who will abuse you. And you'll see that in the life of Paul. So all of this is important as you consider going forward uh, in ministry and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the kind of virtuous preaching, you see, that gives life to the lost and it sustains it. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 17 the perfect example of preaching like that from the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the world, where he will come to Athens, Greece, and he will preach at Mars Hill, the very center of philosophical human thought. Uh, and he's alone. His missionary partners have not yet arrived. And so at this moment, God will use him in a mighty way. And so as he ventured into the crowded streets of Athens, he was by himself, and all he saw was idolatry in every single corner. Uh, it's incredible. The city was full of idols. And we know from the Roman historian Pliny 
that there were over 50,000 idols in the city of Athens. Can you imagine? 50,000 idols uh, as they worshipped all these unknown gods in so many ways. Uh, and, and it was a city full of idolatry. And so, as he walks, his spirit is convicted. He's disturbed by what he sees. Uh, and, and so he's brought, you see, people that hear him speak, he's brought to the Areopagus, uh, to the Hill of Mars, uh, which stands in marble today. And he looks at these philosophers because these, these philosophers never came upon absolute truth. They didn't believe in absolute truth. It was always an issue of moral values, relative values. And so they considered it intellectual suicide to conclude that there was one absolute truth. And so Paul really is convicted by this, and he was no mere Athens, no mere tourist in Athens. And so as he preaches in the synagogues uh, and carries on his work for the, uh, for the kingdom of God, look at Acts 17, verse 17 on the board. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. That's what he did. That was his call. He spoke to the people. That's what you're supposed to do. Speak to the people every day. Engage people in Christ. Speak to them about Jesus. Uh, nothing in the culture passed his mind. He saw it all in this brilliant mind that he had. He was a brilliant missionary, and he reasoned with unbelievers uh, in a very articulate way, one-on-one. -on -one. And it wasn't long before, you see, his audience began to include some very sophisticated thinkers. Um, and so the sermon point is this for you. Paul understood the crucial nature of this spiritual appointment in Athens. Squandering the opportunity never crossed his mind. We have to be mindful of not squandering the opportunities. Think of all the places that you've been where you could have spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about those tables you were at, maybe in your country club. Think about the people that you were there, and you could have talked to them about Jesus Christ, and instead you remained mute. All right? Not this man. Not this man. He was on fire. We have to be mindful of never squandering those opportunities to speak up for what the Lord gives us. This is what we're going to be accountable for. And so all this talk from Paul, all this talk about Jesus and the resurrection of Christ seems strange to these philosophers, these idolatrous philosophers, all of it. And so None of their gods boasted the power to be raised from the grave. None of them saw that. And yet in this man's uh, talk, he speaks about this God who was raised from the dead. And so now they invited him to speak on a higher plane. We want you to talk about this. We want you to come to Mars Hill, the center of philosophy in Athens, and speak to our people. This would be akin to being asked, to preach before Congress. Can you imagine? And I'll say this to you. If they ever ask me, I can tell you flat out, I'll preach just the way I'm preaching here. I will never change how I preach. All right? And I would say Paul was the same way. He would never change. So here he is now at the center of human thought 
and human philosophy, the epicenter. And now he's going to speak to these pagans. Look at Acts 17, verse 22 on the board. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Let's stop there. Look at how he puts a hook out to people. He looks to find an area of common knowledge. They worshipped an unknown God. He was smart enough to recognize, this is how I'm going to introduce Jesus. It's an unknown God. Certainly Jesus is unknown. I'm going to extol them for being, worship, for being religious, but for not knowing what they're worshipping. And that's what you need to do when you go out and spread the gospel. You just don't knock people down. You don't just say you're a loser, you're going to hell. All right? You don't speak like that. You find a way to express people in love, to reach out to them in love and comfort them, and to say, I know where you're at. I know what you're thinking. You just don't know the full story. And so you see that here in this message, in this powerful message. Continuing on in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. How's that? God, uh, the God of creation, who made everything, doesn't reside in a temple. I know you think he does, but he doesn't. He doesn't. This is the God of the universe. Uh, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. There it is, as he says to him, this is why you are created. The God who I'm talking about, who created everything, who is not in a temple made by human hands, gave you the very breath of your life. From one man, he went on to say, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Look at the eloquence of this message, how in a few sentences, he takes the whole message of the gospel and distills it from one man. That's right, Adam. We all came through the lineage of Adam, every single human being. And so, yes, in that sense, you were created by God. Uh, and he says, and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He created the boundaries and the history of their land, meaning what? This is our worldview. You understand? When people ask you, what's your worldview? There's your worldview. Jesus Christ, God himself. He created everything from the beginning of time. Everything, every country, every land, every position. And he established the veritable boundaries. God alone. And he's giving this in the center of human philosophy. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He actually set the history for your people, set it whether you understand it or not. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not 
far from any of us. Now he, he establishes the personal relationship of God. Do you see what he's doing here? He's not far from us. He's established these boundaries and your history so that you would reach out to him because he wants to have a personal relationship. And then he says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Again, do you see what he does? He finds an area of common interest. Your own poets said that we are the offspring of God. All I'm giving you now is the theological reference point for that. Continuing on verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooks such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Stop. There it is. Coming judgment. You see? Yes, I'm giving you this message of hope, but at the same time, I want you to be aware of the fact that judgment is coming. He has established thousands of years of patience, but now he's calling people everywhere to repent. What an amazing message this is to give to a people who, who basically were completely filled with idolatry. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, underline that, he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What? Yes. He raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, who will one day judge every single creation. Every single creation. And you can imagine what that had to be like. He didn't hold back. He preached it all in a few sentences. Now, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, and this I'm reading again from that passage, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And that, Paul left the council some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Some people believed. The flag was established. This was God's area. He had, he had obeyed the Lord and preached this message. Now, this brilliant message, Brilliant message touched by the Holy Spirit effectively was delivered to a pagan people, and yet you see that God allowed that message to prosper. And so Paul used the whole idea of the unknown God for the introduction of the true God. You see, and that's a lesson to me, that when I want to speak to people, I need to know where people are at. What's their perspective? What do they know? And find a way that I can address them on a common ground. Uh, always look for a common ground. It starts with relationships. Have a friendship that you, that you use to begin this process. They had dedicated an altar to the unknown God. They had, uh, they, but Paul recognized that they were fearful that they wouldn't miss a God. You understand? That's what this was about. God forbid. Oh, if there's some God out there we don't honor, let's just call it the unknown God. And he used that as the hook, as the hook to prepare this brilliant message. And so Paul began 
with the familiar so that he could introduce the unfamiliar. And good preaching, and I say this to you, starts with finding a common ground. Find an area where you have in common with people that don't know Jesus, and then build that area. Move forward uh, and build a bridge. And that's how you will begin to, to evangelize to the lost. Now, Paul spoke about the unknown God and built that bridge to make him known. Uh, and, and what he said there was, this unknown God is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the only one and true God. This God does not dwell in uh, handmade temples. Can you imagine how that rocked their world? What? This God that you're talking about who made everything won't dwell in the temples that we make? That makes no sense to us. Well, that's because he is outside and above these man-made temples. It must have rocked their world. Uh, and then he continued to preach on that same thought, and he said he gives to all life and breath and all things, and he made from one every nation uh, on mankind on the face of the earth from one man and determine their appointed times and habitation. Let's understand something. That's our worldview. That's what I'm preaching to you. That's what I would say to the lost. You need to understand this. Here's your worldview. You don't need a newspaper or a book to tell you your worldview. Your worldview is this. God created the heavens and the earth. You understand? God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to say something. In this coming election, whether the candidates we want win or whether the candidates we want lose, God is in charge. You understand that? God is in charge. And never, and never forget to understand that. And yes, sometimes God puts us under judgment. Brother John, even in an election? Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Maybe God wants us to recognize that we have to go back. We have to go back. We need to think like this and spread this kind of thinking to a lost world. And so not only is God omnipotent and, um, and all-powerful, but he is sovereign. You understand? He is sovereign. I can't explain everything that he does. I can't give you a reason for what he does because I have a small, puny, carnal mind. But he understands, and I bow to his will. I bow to his will. And so God sets the boundaries and the habitations of where we are. And then he says that God is not far from us. He's not far from us. He's not somewhere in the stars. He's right here. God's here in this building. He's here right now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of preaching you need to give to people that are lost. Understand the nature of God. Uh, and so Acts 17, verse 30 says as follows, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent, repent, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to accept you as his child. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The sermon point I have for you here is this. Paul emphasizes a coming judgment. This relates to us as well 
in our evangelism. The resurrection of Christ is the proof of everything we speak about. Here's the point. When you speak to people about Jesus and their need to come to faith, you don't have to say, bring out the marshmallows. Light up the campfire. Who's got the words to kumbaya? All right? You understand? We have to recognize the fact that we have to be sober and vigilant when we talk about Jesus. Yes, there's going to come a judgment. And yes, the judgment will certainly come for the entire world, but the judgment will come for each and every one of us individually when we're called home to the Lord. That's your responsibility to articulate it. And so Paul boldly proposed that they needed to repent uh, and accept this God. He boldly did it knowing that they would mock him and jeer him when he spoke about a resurrection. Upon hearing that God had raised Jesus from the dead, they howled in derision. They howled in derision. All these smart people. However, Paul spoke about the resurrection before they could shut him up. And while some sneered, yet when he got the message out, they wanted to hear more about it. And a small group of people believed. And let me say this to encourage you. Don't look for large numbers of people to come your way as you preach about Jesus. I look out at this church and I see a core of dedicated believers that are going to move this church forward. I thank each and every one of you for your resolute belief. I don't care that not every seat in this church is filled, but I have hope in God that the people that are here are committed, and I believe when we go down the road to Golden Gate and Santa Barbara, God is going to fill that church with new believers. I believe that. And he's going to use you to help fill it because you are going to be the people who are going to do the ministry. You as always, this is a bottom-up church. We're not going to hire people up here to do ministry. We're going to use you to be the veritable ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what you need to understand is that every evangelistic message is going to result in some sneering and some mocking, but some people will be intrigued enough to want more, who will want to hear more and want to hear the message of Christ. And so as I bring this message to a conclusion to let you understand and think about what I've said so that I can be honorable to Martin Luther, have a beginning and an end, and as I'm putting the end together, there are four principles that we should use just as Paul did as he spoke to this crowd. First, first, always stay on the subject. Always stay on the subject. Christ, crucified, resurrected at the right hand of God. Everything that Paul preached pointed to Jesus Christ. Don't get involved in some other philosophical discussion when you have people's attention. You preach Christ. Preach Christ. Any preaching that does not exalt Jesus Christ is pointless. You got that? Pointless. Christ is the answer to every need of the people in this world. When he's preached, lives are changed forever. Lives are transformed. And you need to recognize that. That's your role. Second, 
Always speak the truth without fear. Always speak the truth without fear. Do not be overly impressed with somebody's academic credentials. Oh, he's a doctor. He's a lawyer. He's a college professor. Oh, oh, I, I can't speak to him about Jesus. No, he probably needs to hear Jesus more than the guy out in the street. You understand? Because most likely he's filled with narcissism, raising himself up instead of recognizing that he's nothing before the kingdom of God. And so don't be overly impressed with people's intellectual achievements. Your responsibility is to speak the truth about Jesus. Third, remember to start where your audience is. You understand that? Don't get involved in some high theological premise with someone who's never opened a Bible, right? Uh, he hooked these men with his first sentence. I recognize you're religious and worshiping the unknown God. He hooked them in on their own petard. And that's what you need to do. Speak to people where they are in a language that they know. We need to find a way to get into the world in order to preach Jesus Christ. Fourth, always surrender the result to God. This is a hard one. I have a hard one with this. Because I would like nothing better than when I preached to see many people come forward and lives change. But you know what? He's in charge, not me. I'm the messenger. I'm not there to change lives. I'm here to tell people the story of Jesus. And so are you. So don't be discouraged because you don't see large groups of people coming. Be encouraged to know that those that come are committed and resolute and form the pillar of the, the, pillar of the church. And that's what I see here in this church. I spoke to several, several women today in this church, and I said to them, you are a pillar in this church. And you are all pillars in this church. This church is going forward on the basis of your commitment to Jesus Christ. And so we always, we always surrender the result to Christ. And so as we reach out, we need to be sensitive to the loss, to the emptiness of their hearts, uh, and we have to be responsible to the Holy Spirit. As we speak, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit anoints our words. And here, just as he did with Paul, he provoked Paul's spirit as he walked through the streets of Athens. Let the Holy Spirit also provoke you as you walk through the streets of Naples, especially now, especially with people that are hurting from the hurricane. Be sensitive to their needs. But I'm going to tell you something. No amount of money from FEMA is going to connect with the hole in their heart as Jesus Christ will. You understand? So get that out of your head. If you think, well, if we just put enough money out there uh, and it comes forward, they're going to be helped. Yes, they might be temporarily helped. But the eternal help comes from Jesus Christ. Look, this man would preach like this the rest of his life, even as he would spend years in prison for doing nothing wrong but preaching about Jesus. Finally, in Rome, somewhere around 65 AD, all right, uh, about 30 years after he spent his life preaching for Jesus Christ, he would be martyred. 
and he would be beheaded by Nero. Can you imagine? And yet he knew, he knew that every day of his life he preached Jesus Christ. And so he could come to face Jesus Christ. And so you see what happens when you give your life for Christ. That's the legacy of your life. And I want every one of you to have a legacy. I want you to do something here in this world that will transform those people that you know and that even when you're gone, you will have a living legacy to your family and to your friends and to your church. Live your life like Paul. Learn to speak about Jesus like Paul. Learn to preach like Paul. And when you do that, I can assure you, the Holy Spirit will anoint you will use you, will transform you. And the evidence, the evidence will be taken care of by God. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful example you've given us of Paul, a man who has dedicated his life to you in every possible way. And we learn, Lord, how to speak to the lost. We learn how to have a beginning and an end and a transformational message and to bow to the Holy Spirit and how we find a way to hook our audience in Jesus. And so we bow and ask you to transform our own lives and give us the ability to speak like this also so that when we leave here, when we walk out these doors, we're ready to face a world that's lost. Yes, lost, just like Athens was lost in idolatry. The problem is today, people don't think that they're filled with idolatry. And yet, while they're not worshiping little plastic idols. They're worshiping recreation, relationships, money. In so many ways, this world is still filled with idolatry. And so give us the grace, Father, to cut through it all and to preach Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Lord, be with our people. Help to transform their lives. Bless them in every way and bring them back again safely next week to continue the worship of you, Lord. We put all of this in Jesus' Precious name, amen.